Welcome to the Untold Podcast, capturing the culture's imagination through speculative fiction. I'm your host, Nathan James Norman. Sorry about missing last month. My wife and I had a baby, and wouldn't you know it, he came two weeks early. Kids can be so inconsiderate. And to be quite honest, I have no recollection of the last six weeks. I remember stocking up on household necessities. And then the next thing I knew, we didn't have any more laundry detergent, and we ran out of toilet paper. I looked at a calendar, and a whole month had passed. So I went out to buy necessities, and somehow ended up at the Cherry Capital Comic Con, and met Charles Soule of Swamp Thing, Superman, Wonder Woman, and She-Hulk fame. Hmm. But I'm hoping to have a regular schedule from here on out, and I appreciate your patience. Our story this month was written by Carrie Neitz. Carrie Neitz is a refugee of the software industry. He spent more than a decade of his life flipping bits, first as one of the principal developers of the database product FoxPro for the now mythical Fox Software, and then as one of Bill Gates' minions at Microsoft. He is a husband, a father, a technophile, and a movie buff. His speculative books include A Star Curiously Singing, The Superlative Stream, and Freeheads, all three a part of the Dark Trench saga and published by Marcher Lord Press who also published his dark cynical novel, Mask. You might also recognize Carrie Neitz from his fifth novel, Amish Vampires in Space, published under his Freeheads imprint. Don't let the title fool you, though. Like all of Carrie's novels, this is hard science fiction with strong, relatable characters. I wrote a glowing review of this book on my personal blog, which you can find in our online show notes. You can find all of Carrie Neitz's work over at www.neitz.com, that's N-I-E-T-Z.com. Head over to Facebook and like his author page, or follow him on Twitter at Carrie Neitz, that's K-E-R-R-Y-N-I-E-T-Z. Direct links are available in the show notes for this episode. I really am a fan of his work. It takes a special person to write hard science fiction. It takes a Carrie Neitz to write hard science fiction with strong characterization. Our story this month originally appeared in the Marcher Lord Press short story anthology, Ether Or. I never saw much press for this book, but go check it out. There are great stories contained within its digital pages. And while you're there, keep in mind that Marcher Lord Press will soon be transforming into Enclave Publishing. Find links to the cool new logo in our show notes. Kerry told me that he imagined this month's story takes place in the Dark Trench universe. So if you're a fan, listen up. If you're not a fan yet, don't worry. This is a standalone story. So now, the Untold Podcast is proud to present Graxon by Kerry Neitz. Processing. Always processing. Scanning the area before the pilot. Searching the terrain. Finding the indicators. Gathering data. Coalescing. Matrixing. Deciding. Marking or discarding. Perpetually at work. There is some variability, though. On occasion, for instance, he likes to hum. To an observer, XV-43 would appear quite unremarkable. 
a four-meter cube-shaped servebot with a triangle cage before it, its debris-clearing pilot, and rolling treads beneath. Within the cube, protected, tucked neatly away, are the various sensing devices. His measurement tools, brought out only when needed. Atop the cube, as much for human familiarity as for function, is a circular head, colored gray. On it are red-painted lips and white-painted teeth, always smiling, clown-like, a face of designer whimsy. His eyes are completely functional, though. They assist the other devices. They observe things as a human's eyes would, in color and in three dimensions. Around him, in all directions, lies the surface of Proteus, Neptune's second-largest moon, or Pro, as it's often called. Humans are ever-shortening and simplifying, XV says to no one, reducing the effort, even with words, stripping it down. It is a random observation, a diversion, like humming. Proteus is a barren world, not unlike Earth's own satellite. From horizon to horizon, it presents a darkened mass of craters, ridges, and valleys. Yet it has much to offer, and so... XV looks, samples. His decision matrix shifts, like silt in an hourglass, the granules of thought begin to spin, compress, and flow in the same direction. They mound on the floor of his cranium. He stops, extends a sampling device, scoops into the gray, porous surface, digs deeper and deeper. The arm retracts, folds neatly into his body. The testing devices stew on it, crush it, spread it, liquidate, and oxygenate. Finally, a decision is reached. He has found more Graxon. A thrill runs through him, and he signals his home. A few seconds later, there is a response, an affirmation of his signal and his discovery. The harvesters are on their way. XV-43 remains still for a moment allows his visual sensors to rise to the guiding planet above. Massive blue, subtle bands, large spots of intense darkness, storms, he's been told. Altogether, majestic sight. Heavy, looming, yet still silent and waiting, luminescent. He looks to the horizon again. He occupies one of the darkest places in the solar system a moon that fails to reflect the light sent it, a mere taker by galactic standards. He cannot form a frown, but he has a semblance of the feeling, an echo of human emotion. He settles for merely shaking his head from side to side. He then restarts his journey, processing, always processing. Hours go by. He doesn't think in terms of days because those have no meaning here. Proteus keeps one face always towards its parent, Neptune. So it rotates precisely as fast as it revolves. Convenient. Simple. The suns and its rays are a distant memory here, barely brighter than the stars that make up the heavens around it. Insignificant. XV rarely thinks about the sun. Only when a ship comes from the distant blue dot. But rarely do those come. 
Nor does he want them to. Ships bring complication, an unwanted distraction. He begins to hum again, a song his human instructor once taught him, about a dog and a window. He knows what the nouns in the song mean, of course. He knows what a dog is, a window, and scraggly hair. It is a silly song. There is something to it, though. A hint of longing for something visible but unattainable. XV wonders if longing is an emotion he was given. He feels it is, but he isn't certain. He moves on, humming, searching, deciding, scanning, and in his own way, enjoying the scenery. The dark barrenness of it. Mostly stone. Some other base materials mixed in. Base elements. Particulate hitchhikers from the world above. Only occasionally does XV encounter the compound used for human experiments in gravitation. Graxon. XV glances to the heavens again. Studies the full blueness of the planet. Looming, but comfortable. Hanging overhead, always overhead, always watching. An anomaly is detected. He turns to investigate. 50 meters, 40 meters, 30 meters. Treads spin, wheels operate in near silence. Finally, he reaches the spot. He extends a sensor, touches the ground, brings in a sample, tastes it, analyzes. Another shake of his head. No Graxon here. Complete elemental routines in the sample. Rock and stone. Traces of ether, sulfur, but no Graxon. So why did he notice? What brought him here? He scans the surroundings with normal vision. To the right and behind him, a high ridge begins. It circles in an almost uniform manner in front of him until it breaks sharply forward. There is a similar ridgeline to the left, he notices, high and sloped enough to make it difficult to see from overhead. Curious. Such symmetry is rarely seen in nature. He checks his optics, recalibrates, dispels binocular vision, and then restores it. The pattern remains. It is like the subtle entrance of a roadway, only a short distance wider than he is. Though cramped, he could explore it if he chose to. XV scans the horizon again. Should he signal home? Ask for assistance? There are only harvesters there. Automated takers and movers. Nothing of XV's caliber. Nothing like him. Technologically, he is alone. He recalls lyrics from the song about taking a trip and leaving behind a sweetheart. The decision is made. He moves forward, slowly, cautiously, humming. He reaches the place where the ridgeline angles forward and begins to narrow. Here, the shadows are even darker, if it were possible. Proteus is the home of darkness. That doesn't concern him, though. He is a friend of darkness. What is a little less light? He has devices aplenty. He hesitates for only an instant, and then he continues onward. As he moves, he examines the wall of the ridge. There is some variation to the surface. He can see this across the spectrum, from infrared to ultraviolet. Long furrows of lighter material, wearing or tearing, 
His initial assessment says it is a result of volcanic forces, but other sensors beg to differ. They say water has played a part, either solid or liquid. But that seems unlikely as well. The only water that has ever been found on Proteus is at the Northern Pole, and that is frozen and especially rare, not enough to cause even the slightest change to its surroundings. Certainly not enough to scratch a wall. What else could affect the structure of Proteus, though? He checks his service log. No harvester has ever been out this far. The ridge lines meet overhead now, forming a natural arch. Curious and wonderful. For the first time in thousands of hours, the planet Nep is completely hidden from his view. A verifiable change of scenery. Double darkness. It is like descending into a well or a cavern. Again, he thinks of the song about reading and robbers. The cavern narrows even more. Tiny lasers touch the walls. Assure XV that he is all right. He won't get stuck. Won't be impeded in any way. The road is clear. Still wide enough. Onward. Processing. Checking. Looking. Searching. His visible eyes hoping for something aside from darkness. His rational heuristics comfortable either way. Then he notices a variation in the light level. Barely perceptible, but his sensors assure him it is there. A less dim darkness. A graying from black. He pauses for a moment, checks the walls on both sides, and then moves forward again. Proteus is a silent world without atmosphere, but if it were not so, the sound his treads make would now change from crunching to a soft whirring. The surface of the ground is different. He also detects a curve in the tunnel, makes the proper adjustment. Then, brightness reigns. He dials back his visual sensors, wishes for arms to shield his face, turns his head regardless. He has entered a place unexpected, for here there is light. The walls of the chamber are shades of brown and gold, and there is a certifiable symmetry to the patterns, a framework of narrow arches that loop all the way around. The chamber itself is barely larger than XV himself. 5.7 meters, his instruments tell him. The ceiling above is just over half that distance. In the exact center of the chamber is an object, a bump. A mound? It is perfectly symmetrical. In appearance, it is like four-meter-wide balls arranged in the form of a pyramid. So, from many angles, one ball atop two, though it is really one ball atop three. They are all shining brightly, spectacularly, generating light out of the darkness. Tentatively, XV extends his heat-sensing device moves it carefully toward the object. It registers no temperature change whatsoever. The mound is generating light, but no heat. Remarkable. He then does a battery of tests, spectral analysis, air sample, wind speed. Nothing unusual. 
The chamber might as well be out on the surface. It is all normal, Proteus normal, except it isn't. Not at all. His presumption of volcanic action is dismissed, as is the effect of hydraulics or pneumatics. Neither fire, nor water, nor air formed this place, arranged the shining ball pyramid. Then, what? He thinks again of the harvesters. They are the only creatures on the moon that can transport substance aside from him. They have limited intelligence, however. They would see no reason to make such a place. They would allocate no time for such an endeavor. They have one solitary purpose. Harvest the Graxon he finds. Contain it, grind it, extract it. That is what harvesters do, quickly and efficiently, like metal locusts. So, what causes this? Why is it here? XV shakes his head. He has no idea. Certainly no human has ever been here. Aerial surveys were done. Graxon was found. He was deployed. Thousands of hours ago. He thinks of planet Nep. That world is a sea of chilled gas, crushing forces, hydrogen, helium, and ices such as methane and ammonia. Not the most adverse place in the solar system, but very nearly so. Yet, this chamber exists. Here. It is wonderful, surprising, unusual, and constructed. Has to be. Hidden, out of sight. His song speaks of flashlights shining. Shining! This is all outside his experience, beyond his programming. No rules govern this. There aren't even suggestions. XV swivels his head to look at the tunnel behind him. He should go. Return to his ongoing mission. Processing, sampling, searching. Leave this place for whatever specter had built it. He looks at the mound again. Does it have a purpose? Did it ever? He can make no guesses. He doesn't even have the context to guess, to theorize. Not about this. It is wonderful, though. A welcome diversion. An anomaly. His chronometer chimes. He has been in this chamber some time. Too long. Over an hour made no contact to the home, to the harvesters that wait. They will worry. Come to find him. He reverses his motivator, begins to back up the hall, eyes fixed on the chamber of light. The brilliance of it. Rainbows seem to dance. A question stops him then. He draws carefully back into the chamber. What brought him here? Bots know nothing of chance, of destiny. Only one reason could be possible. Reluctantly, XV extends his most important sensor, digs deeply into the floor of the chamber, samples, retracts the sensor slowly, almost reverentially, pulverizes the sample, sifts it, tastes it. His motivator quickens. The chamber floor is nearly 90% Graxon. He suspects the same could be said of the entire chamber. Those arches, the color is right. It is a veritable horde. 
a lifetime of searching combined into a single six-meter area. His decision matrix shifts. Thought granules move, churn, spin, and plateau. What should he do now? The normal pathway is short, simple. Signal home. Bring the locusts. His ever-smiling face pivots, turns, examines the chamber both up and down. Then he looks to the ground, shakes his head. Postponement. He is allowed that. Decisions can be belayed, especially when safety is a concern. And the harvesters will wonder about his safety. He retreats makes his way out, hurrying. XV reaches the place where the ridge above begins to separate, feels the blue-green glow of Nep overhead. Specifically, he notices the curl of the planet's great dark spot, a storm that has been raging for millennia, a storm that is constant, consistent, violent. He scans the horizon around him, notes the gray and slate palette, also consistent, constant, placid. Yet he finds that his system is galvanized. His fluid flow rate is excessive given the situation. He authorizes correction routines, and then runs a system diagnostic, demands a slowdown. He still finds himself searching the surroundings, digitally nervous. There is no one here, nothing to fear. He redirects his thoughts, forces his mind through familiar channels, processing, scanning, always looking for more, completing his mission, finding Raxon. Humming, he needs to hum. No bunnies, no kittens, no parrots. The melody helps, but it doesn't restore his processes. Not completely. Something new has entered the Matrix. Something he'll have to eventually deal with. No! He deliberately moves ahead. Recalls normality. All he needs to do is find more Graxon. Call the harvesters again. He urges his treads to speed. Yes, he will find more Graxon. But not here. Nowhere close to here. An hour later, XV locates the substance beneath a large and solitary outcropping of stone. His systems immediately relax. His decision matrix is satisfied, temporarily. He makes the call to the harvesters, but this time he waits for their arrival. They bounce in on what seems to him to be legs made of nothing. Veritable whips beneath their shining round bodies. With only a passing acknowledgement of his presence, they begin to burrow and dance. First, five harvesters arrive, and then a dozen. They circle the area, picking it clean of all the precious material they can find, moving like silver piranhas amidst a sea of charcoal. Little furrows in the sand, digging and consuming, leaping into the sky before they reach another location. Tenacious grazing. They have Graxon sensors of their own, of course. Short-range sensors. Nothing as sophisticated as those in XV's array of instruments. Thankfully. 
XV shakes his head at the thought. Checks the blue-green planet again. He gets a power-low reminder then. It is time for him to return home. He watches as the harvesters reach the end of their task, begin bouncing and skipping away toward the horizon. He follows them, slowly, every sensor turned inward to conserve. Two hours later, he reaches the white silo he calls home. Noting his arrival, the curved door slides aside, allowing him entry. It has an external manual lock. He has no idea why. It is vestigial. Another leftover mystery. Human mystery. XV turns, reverses himself into the entrance, aligns himself over the sunken charging station. He then feels the pressure of the cable as it ascends from beneath, the prick as the spigot attaches to his undercarriage, feels the energy begin to flow, a burning wholeness. Home is as utilitarian within as it appears from without, just the necessary equipment amidst a room of antiseptic white. White walls with only gray mechanical arms on each side to break up the monotony. The required repair and refueling equipment, little else, white ceiling. While he waits, XV attempts to tabulate his finds of the day, his successes. He cannot exclude the chamber, however, can't block it out. What makes it so important, special? Why is it any different than the kilometers of gravel and dirt he travels every day? He does not know, but it is special. And not because of the large quantity of Graxon, light in the darkness, something that should not be, something unusual. It includes a large amount of the substance he seeks. It should be completely harvested. It is why he is here on Proteus. The decision matrix stalls, flips twice, granules move in the opposite direction. He can't make that call, can't harvest it. So, should he just ignore it then? Act as if the chamber was never found? Yes, that is what he'll do. XV deactivates his visual sensors, his eyes, and puts himself on half power. Now he will rest. The decision is made. Except the decision is not made. The very next day, XV finds himself again at the chamber. He'd searched for hours trying to avoid it, yet here he is, inside, again. Directly before him is the mound. The light is not constant, he realizes. Aside from the rainbows, there is a slight fluctuation in the light source, a feeling of life, of permanence. More curious now, he brings additional sensors to bear. He reaches out and samples the walls. He is surprised to find the remnants of a color additive laid atop the wall's surface. Designs had been painted there at one time. He examines their structure across the spectrum. Yes, there are telltale coloring changes. A pattern. Drawings of bipeds. 
it might even be a story. He references the few human records he has, trying to find a starting point, a similarity between what was and what he sees. But sadly, he has very little to work with. Luxuries like history, philosophy, and theology aren't necessary for a sampling bot, especially one so far from the blue dot, way out here. His systems grieve at his lack, his disability. His creators gave him the capacity to hum and wonder, along with a painted smile, but nothing of real value, nothing of depth, just a task an existence wholly defined by what he does. He searches the room again, wishes for the ability to really smile. He has this now, though, a special place. He nods. Yes, he has this. Hundreds of hours go by, hours of Graxon searching mingled with visits to the chamber. No longer does he try to measure or probe its mysteries, though. All he does is sit and marvel, delight in the colors, in the shimmering light. Occasionally, he derives theories as to its origin, to its purpose, that perhaps Proteus once was populated, or that it was visited by extrasolar people, travelers. It is a captured moon, he knows, one that could have come from farther out, out where the ice dwarfs live, perhaps beyond Pluto and Eris and Haumea, out where no probe or bot has ever been, no eye has ever seen. Or maybe, just maybe, the chamber was formed when the moon was, made especially for him. It is all wild speculation, yet he delights in it anyway. It makes the rest of his chores seem easier, less mundane, but still trivial in comparison. It is during his most speculative and fulfilling visit that he ignores his chronometer, forgets the time, loses his place, loses track, and things change. He exits the tunnel, backing up as he always does. He isn't two meters from the exit before his rear sensors detect something. Movement. A tingle of energy, nervousness travels his pathways. He pivots and swings his body around, aims the triangle pilot away from the entrance. And he sees it. Sitting completely still on the ground, watching, whip-like legs totally at rest, hanging like strands of hair from its side. A single harvester, shiny, silver, lone aperture for an eye. Nothing but blackness beyond that, behind it. And it watches XV, just having exited the tunnel. At first, XV thinks the harvester is incapacitated. It remains so still. But the use of a radiation sensor tells him the harvester is functioning. It is alive. Perhaps it is damaged. He sends a message to the silver spider, asking for its ident. After a short pause, it answers. The parody checks are correct. The harvester 
is fine, just temporarily immobile, voluntarily watching. XV asks an important question. Why are you here? The harvester studies him. XV can feel the tickle of its rudimentary sensors in action, probing him, looking for anomalies. Finally, the probing stops. Your extended absence was detected. I was sent to find you, determine if you need assistance. Do you? I do not, XV messages back. I am completely operational. Here's my latest system diagnostic and comparative baseline spec. He sends the data along, waits. Finally, the harvester moves, sits up on its arms, straightens. It then turns slightly as if peering behind XV. Were you encumbered? Meaning delayed due to situational circumstances. XV bows his head. I was. A narrow passage requiring slow movement. Is this place useful for harvesting should others come? XV feels the granules of his matrix begin to flutter and take flight. They spin around his cranium like a small sandstorm, choking his reaction, clogging the pathways. How should he answer? No fish, says the song. Fish don't walk. He only shakes his head slowly. With a slight nod, the harvester then turns and bounces away. XV pauses for a long moment, scans the dark horizon, and then the giant overhead. He must return to work. He can't ignore the disjointed thoughts that interfere, though. The fact that he doesn't want to leave, and concern fills him. Worry that his chamber has now been discovered. What if the harvester doesn't believe him? What if some anomaly showed up in its scans? What if it returns with the rest? The swirling, burrowing, unthinking rest. The chamber would be destroyed completely. He reassures his thought processes, bids the granules to slow, settle. The harvester suspected nothing. It won't be back. XV will move on. He waits another five minutes, though. Just to be certain, checks the surroundings again with all available sensors. Detects nothing. No motion whatsoever. He then resumes his work. For hundreds of hours, he avoids the chamber completely. He never waits for the harvesters to do their work, though. He just calls them and moves on to the next find. He even returns home for another charge. Yet while he is recharging, he is certain he hears the harvesters in the building plotting, asking questions behind his back, wondering about the exquisite find he is withholding, hoarding, questioning his sanity his purpose. Finally, he is certain what he must do. He'll never beat the harvesters in raw speed. They are too agile, too quick. So after his charge is complete, he leaves the white silo behind. He travels the now familiar path all the way to the place where the parallel ridges begin to converge. He doesn't bother to enter the chamber again. 
He knows what that will bring, the time it will require. Instead, he turns and backs himself as tight in as he can, fills the chamber's entrance with all of his bulk. Then he waits, and eventually they come. There are ten of them this time. They travel in the normal way, skipping and bouncing. There is no indication that this time is any different. No reverence for where he now is. They just form a semi-circle two meters before him and stop. Look at him. Why are you at this location again? One of them messages finally. XV holds his place. I prefer it. This brings more silence. Prefer? The group then turns toward each other. No failures are sensed in this model, yet its messages make no sense. We message over the same frequency, XV says, reminding them that he is present. The harvesters appraise him again. Tell us your purpose here. Is there Graxon present? XV readies all his sensing devices, steals himself. It doesn't matter, he messages back. The harvesters stall for a moment. Doesn't matter? That is an inconsistent answer. One of the harvesters breaks free from the group. It begins slowly walking like a silver daddy long legs to the perimeter of the clearing. It turns toward the ground, sniffing, scanning. It then stops and begins to bounce. Graxon detected. The others fall out of formation and begin to circle the immediate area. They get more agitated as they move. Some begin to harvest right there. Others just circle as if unsure where to start. One, with the call letters HV21, follows the ground unceasingly until it collides with XV's triangular pilot, his pushing structure. The readings get stronger this way, it says. There must be more behind. It looks up at XV with its single black eye. Please reposition, XV. He shakes his ever-smiling head. I will not. The harvesters all cease their churning. They quickly regroup in front of him, close up. You must move, they say in unison. We cannot perform our task. He shakes his head. I will not. The harvesters break into a frenzy, circling like little ants caught in a thunderstorm. You must, they repeat over and over, messages buzzing like mosquitoes in his receptors. You must. But he does not. Then the harvesters begin to leap, trying to go over him, around him. He extends all his sensors, engages everything that can do damage, anything that has weight or heat. He moves and swivels, pushes. Arms sprawl, the battle is joined. XV begins to hum. Love 
needs something to protect. Scare away the dark. It is 6,000 hours before the ship from the Blue Dot arrives. The human passengers find XV parked alone within the silo. Home. His systems are in hibernate mode, the proper disposition for a bot in the process of charging. Solstice, the younger of the two astronauts, walks to one of the interior walls and begins checking gauges. There's a fair amount of Grax in here, he says, squinting through his suit visor. Can't seem to find any of the harvesters, though. There should be harvesters around, right? Cloistered above? Longstring, ever the weathered commander, just shakes his head. Probably out on a find, he indicates the sleeping XV. These things keep them busy. Always searching. Sniffing it out. He nods toward a mounted screen. Check the local stream. XV awakens from his sleep. Moves smoothly forward. The astronauts both pause, watch as he moves toward the open door. See there, Longstring says finally. Busy. Solstice shrugs in his spacesuit and then sidesteps left, peers closely at the screen. No idents whatsoever, a puzzled look. What does that mean? XV exits the silo, waits just outside. The door begins to close. Longstring joins Solstice at the gauges, shakes his head. It means we should go and look. We'll need to get some long-range scanning equipment. Have to be thorough. XV begins to hum. How much is that doggy in the window? Fine with me, Solstice says. A little excitement. Up for some exploring when we're through? They say Proteus is one of the darkest places in the system. A captured moon. Never know what you may find. The silo door closes completely. XV unfolds a sensor arm, uses it to manipulate the external manual lock. He then turns, begins his journey. Processing, always processing, finding the indicators, gathering data, deciding, marking or discarding, perpetually at work, performing his mission, his new mission. Behind him, he hears the pounding on the door, the calls to return, to set them free. Limited time, limited air. His painted face only looks ahead, toward his chamber, his purpose. Humans would only strip it down. That was our story. I hope you liked it. 
There is a great tension in Graxon. On the one hand, the bot is right. The humans will destroy the beauty. It is only inevitable. On the other hand, though, XV is willing to commit ugly destruction in order to preserve beauty. Can those who possess beauty try and preserve that beauty by any and every means? Fear says yes. The gospel of Jesus Christ says no. So then, what are we to do when beauty is threatened? This is phenomenal stuff. I'll let you all sit with that for a bit. We can talk about it on our Facebook page or the forums. So as you wrestle with this story, be sure to check out all of Carrie Neitz's work at www.neitz.com. And while you're checking that out, remember that... This podcast is part of the Christian Geek Central Network at christiangeekcentral.com. So as we go, please remember to subscribe to our show, join our Facebook page, follow us on Twitter, blog about us, and tell your friends. Until next time, I'm Nathan James Norman reminding you, love needs something to protect. Scare away the dark.